Hello, uh, and welcome to Retro Encounter, episode 89, RPG Fans uh, Retro Games Podcast. We're coming at you this week with fresh produce. Uh, I'm your host, Robert Fenner, and joining me today is Michael Solosi. Hi, Rob. How you doing? <laughs> I'm okay. How are you? <laughs> I'm all right. And I, I have a question. Is it now... Regardless of this episode's title, is the way I'm supposed to pronounce this word produce or produce? Oh, I, I'm truly not sure, because this is one of yeah. those this is one of those words like permit or permit or record or record where the meaning changes depending on where you stress the syllable. Maybe the most important thing is the ex- exclamation mark at the end. Oh, okay. But then it could be produce or produce. Either way, they're definitely excited about either fruits and vegetables or making things. Please, somebody write in at retro at rpgfan.com. <laughs> so Produce or Produce were a uh, small, uh, small developer in, uh, in Japan, naturally, uh, who were formed in 1990 out of uh, former IRM employees. Uh, in particular, its founder was Shinji Yamada, who was the director of R-Type. Oh, wow. And, okay. Yeah. Yeah, R-Type and Image Fight were the two that he, were no- he was known for. R-Type, uh, had and- a, R-Type had a nice run of like... Of, of like what, like seven or eight games over twenty years. Those those are fun top-down shooters. That's a, that's a genre I I like seeing new ones of on occasion. They are really good. That um, I know that there was a there was an R type recently, but that R type final on PlayStation Two was yes. amazing. That that one that one was the one I remember like seeing in Game Informer and looking really super cool. Like R type final and Gradius Five were, you know, if you if you like shmups on PS Two, you those two had you covered. Oh yeah, for sure. So, old Shinji Yamada, uh, he took some pals from Aram and he started Produce, and uh, he directed a uh, little uh, tetralogy of uh, vaguely connected games uh, that I guess we're calling the Produce Tetralogy. And uh, that begins in 1993 with uh, The Seventh Saga, a game that um, Super Nintendo RPG fans will likely remember, uh, but whether or not you... Remember it fondly or negatively, I guess it's a bit of a toss-up with this game. Right. I, I should say I, um, I remember the Seventh Saga fondly. I played, pro- this, let's say, the first three dungeons and two towns of that game probably at least ten times. Because, yeah. uh, in, I mean, for those of you who aren't aware of the Seventh Saga, there's seven main characters, and you choose one of them at the beginning, and uh, you compete with the other six and, and can team up with members of the other... With, the other six through the game, so there's a little bit of a non-linearity customization to it, and I liked that concept a lot. So I, I tried the very beginning of the game with each of the main characters a couple of times, and didn't always get very far because the seventh saga has some real brutal difficulty spikes and a necessary grind for progress that um, stonewalled me a couple times. But I eventually did beat that game and have a lot of fond memories of it. So when uh, when we were, you know, chatting about what retro encounter episodes to do probably a couple months ago, you suggested um The Seventh Saga and its sequels and I was barely I was barely aware of those sequels. I basically knew that some existed but didn't know anything about them and that really intrigued me. So then we ended up, we ended started talking about it and here we are, right? Mm, yeah, that's correct. Um it's a funny thing about uh, Seventh Saga's punishing difficulty. From what I understand, that's all the work of Enix America, who not only gave this game a bit of a butcher's translation job, oh, but the, also the translation um, is nonsense. Like, don't even try to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, 
they uh, they gave it the old working designs treatment and boosted up uh, all the enemy stats considerably. So I, from what I understand, the Japanese version, El Nard's not that hard. It's just kind of like an average average RPG. I mean, I've never I never tried out the Japanese version to compare, but. Now yeah. I'm intrigued because if I can if if I can replay that game without the punishing difficulty just to re-experience it, that sounds that sounds fun to me. But but uh, <laughs> I, I don't I don't know if uh, any effort has been made to try that because it's it it does a lot of interesting things for a 1993 RPG. I think it's the first game I've ever played with a mini map. Yeah, because you, yeah, uh, you get weird, a like radar system. Yeah, huh? it's, I think I think in the mythology of the game, it's a crystal ball, but it's basically yeah. a radar where you see you see enemy blips around there, and you can um and you can seek out or avoid them while navigating. There's so many though. Yeah, oh no, it's it's hard to avoid them. You're going to be running into a lot of them, even if you're trying to avoid every single one. And they move. They I think they move as quickly or faster than you do most of the time. So it's mm. but but still like having a mini map uh, that is you know separate from the main map it was really int- interesting to me and um added another level of int- of uh you know gameplay to just navigating the main uh just navigating towns and uh, not towns but navigating maps and dungeons and uh but really what intrigued me about that game the most was being able to team build and uh having you know mm. and having other characters join you and um some of them can betray you at certain points and cert- and uh certain boss battles are one of your one of the other heroes at random <laughs> yeah and uh, and sometimes you can get real screwed if uh if the if the random hero that is in the cat that is in the castle holding the fifth rune is someone that's particularly strong against you then you can you could be screwed and need a lot of luck to make it past there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, uh, it's, there's just so many interesting things that that game that I didn't really see in other, uh, super Nintendo RPGs that again, I, I played the very beginning of that, of that game, probably at least 10 times, got to around a difficult midpoint one or two times and grinded my way all through the end once. And, uh, and, and, <laughs> yeah. and that one round, uh, I was, I played as the Tetsujin or cyborg, and I uh, and I recruited the elf character as my sidekick for most of the game. Yeah, yeah. The one of the most interesting things about this game is the bizarre um, choice of characters that you have. Yeah. You know, there's like the the human, the elf, and the dwarf, and then like the robot man, the alien, and then like the the demon who's basically just Baphomet walking around. Yeah, and the and there's 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 two humans, but those are the seven characters. There's the uh, the human knight, the human priest, and then the uh, five non humans you mentioned. And it's yeah. and it's it's real weird. And you don't, and especially if you pick the Tetsujin, who's the who's basically a robot. He's the only really robot walking around until you find ruins with other robots at the very <laughs> end of the game. Yeah, and it allows you to get through one area just by basically a door with sort of a password without having to without having to engage in any chicanery or sneaking around, which is one of the few uh, relatively fewer benefits to the robot character. But it's it's really interesting because depending on who your main character is, some characters will be willing or unwilling to join you, and and NPCs will react to you differently. Um, especially if you pick the demon, no one really likes the demon. The demon doesn't like anyone, but he's he's quite mm. powerful. So if you uh, if you level him up, you know up to par, then he can clear encounters solo faster than anyone else. But it's but it, the chances of another character join, willing to join you are very low. So a lot of save reload if you want to try and get a sidekick <laughs> for for the demon. But it's it, it does a lot of little things like that cool very in a very interesting way and the combat is basically is basically just normal turn-based combat but with some 
defend, attack, like, uh, mm. and mana management mechanics that are, you know, like, different enough to make it slightly more, uh, <laughs> slightly more interesting than just a rote Dragon Quest clone. But it, it looks alright for a Super Nintendo game and does a lot of cool little things, and I probably would have, I, I probably would like that game even more if the story was a little more interesting and the difficulty was a little less punishing. Hmm, yeah. Um, bits of it remind me of like an Akatoshi Kawazu game. Maybe I'm saying that just because Saga is in the title, but you know, having your choice of having your choice of bizarre characters and, um, certain events playing out differently, not vastly differently, but like that little element of randomization and these weird obtuse elements, like, you know, depending on whether a character, a, a, a character who you haven't picked, uh, joins you or decides to fight you. That that character is removed from the world forever after you beat them. You've basically killed That's them. True, yeah. So, um, like, if if you kill the priest, well, whoops. <laughs> and sometimes just talking to them, will they'll want to duel you. And I think, yeah, and, and that that will remove them permanently. And again, one of the because what you're trying to do is is obtain seven runes, and then mm. uh, and then defeat an ancient evil with those seven runes. And uh, at one and and the seven heroes are competing because they were sent from an order from the king to find the seven runes. And uh, you're competing with the other heroes, and at one point, I think I mentioned this earlier, the the boss that is holding one of the runes is just one of the other enemies. Yeah. One of the other heroes, and it's you. You can be quite screwed if you know you're like a if you're a frail hero and you run into the dwarf or the demon, or if you're uh, if you are a magicless hero like the like the robot or the alien, and you run into, um, and you run into like a a real tank like the like the dwarf or the knight, it can really mess you up and it's but but that that dynamic i just thought was so interesting and there's a, yeah. and, and there's a point at the at the middle of the game if you're one of x heroes and your partner is one of x heroes then they can betray you steal all your runes and escape and you have to hunt them down and beat them but they have all of the super runes and you have done none of them it's <laughs> yeah it's, it's i i hadn't played another I game like that, that. Yeah. it's and it's a and it is a little wild it's a little um it is like a, a little bit like a saga game because those games have a lot of freedom in uh in character types and character choices and some semi random elements uh in, in interacting with npcs am i am i wrong in assuming that because i've only played a couple saga games no no that's correct i mean in particular i'm reminded quite a bit of the very first ones the final fantasy legend uh, 1 and 2 that allowed you to make up your party of like humans mutants and monsters and robots <laughs> And then just, you know, it's all about exploring this world. There's not so much a focus on uh, character stories, but you have very, you've got a lot of options uh, as to how you want to build your character. Right. Yeah. So the sequels to Seventh Saga, I, again, I think I mentioned this before, I was aware that they existed because I was, you know, there was a point in the 2000s when I was trying to play all of the Super Famicom games that we, that that, uh, the Super Nintendo never got. And that, that's, mm. that's when I first played games like Psycho Ninsetsu 3 and Dragon Quest V and uh, Tales of Fantasia. Well, so, I, so I heard about these two games, these other games, but I never played any of them. Could you tell me a little bit about them? Well, sequel very loosely. The, th- right. the through line here is the name is the name Ramir. Uh, in Seventh Saga, it's been mistranslated as King Lemiel. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. which I I guess is actually meant to be Ramir, who is the hero of the next. Uh, 
three games. Oh, uh, and should, uh, do you mind if I briefly spoil the ending of Seventh Saga? That to maybe oh, please this, do to maybe put this in better context. Yeah, the, okay. the Final Fantasy One twist. Right. We... <laughs> <laughs> right, right. We talked yeah. about this off air a little bit. Um, yeah. Uh, at the very beginning of the game, Lemuel uh, gives is the king who is supposed to be this great hero in the past, and he gives you this quest to find seven runes. And once you find all seven runes, you basically are I don't remember. Maybe I'm not remembering this perfectly clearly, but you find they allow you to travel back in time to defeat this ancient evil that you that you see mention of terrorizing the world in the past, like through the main course of the game, and when mm. you and you defeat it, and it's uh, and but the circumstances of of it, of you defeating it cause your like soul to be cast into the into into the nether or something, and you and you're you, the main character, your soul becomes reincarnated into a person who ends up being the great hero, Lemiel. So it was like, you all along. <laughs> yeah. So, so basically, Lemiel, knowing knowing that uh, he exists because of this uh, of of an ancient hero, like basically creates that ancient hero in the present. But um, but you you don't hear anything about Lemiel's accomplishments other than in the first several towns, a bunch of people mentioning how great he is. And don't you? Isn't it a bad ending for you too? Because the Lemiel who gives you the quest is actually a demon who killed Lemiel and took his place. So, uh, so like, sort of, because like when you bring the the runes back to Lemiel, he attacks you. It's not he isn't the real Lemiel. Um, and uh, and when defeating him, sends you back to defeat the ancient demon that's his master. I think, I think, man, it's oh it's, my gosh. It's, it's vague. <laughs> it's it's vague and it's not well explained. Um. But uh, but Steins Gate over yeah, here. Yeah, but but the general idea of it is Lemiel was this great hero, and you your soul becomes the infant Lemiel at the very end of the game. <laughs> and it's yeah, it's some uh, it's some Final Fantasy one Garland nonsense. But if anything, it's I don't know I don't know if it makes less sense or more sense than Garland and Chaos, which I still don't totally understand. <laughs> but. I mean, uh, I think Seventh Saga and its sequels, uh, well, it's, it's yeah, the spiritual sequels, whatever. I think they're all just so stark and weird that it kind of works here. Like, <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, th- that, that crazy endgame of Seventh Saga, it, it, it does sort of fit in with the rest of the game. Because, like, like the very first quest in the game is you defeat a demon named, uh, I, think it's, I think it's Ramus or Romulus in, the, in a castle. And at yeah. the, at the, after you defeat it, you realize you... Uh, uh, an old lady tells you it's the ghost of the of the dead king's dog that was still guarding the <laughs> castle out of out of loyalty and uh, and and anger, and so it's like so there's like a lot of the vignettes. It's not like a dog though, is he? If I remember, no, no, he's a he's a big, no. he's a big demon looking thing, but he's evidently yeah. he's evidently the ghost of the king's dog, um, but <laughs> but it's. Uh, there's a lot i mean they're almost like dragon quest in that how the game is segmented into into little vignettes that are self-contained in each sort of dungeon town dungeon town quest but they're all they're they're dark and weird and the and not written like a dragon hmm. quest or a final fantasy game so it's uh i, I don't know maybe that's why it appealed to me a little bit cuz it, it seemed like this 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 stranger version of uh the rpgs on super nintendo that i loved but uh, but it was it it wasn't like any other game like any other RPG of that time, which is probably well, like, why yeah. I, re- I remember I have such fond memories of it. A lot of its contemporaries they were either you know super deformed like Dragon Quest or or Final Fantasy or they were very bright in color like mm-hmm. 
like fantasy star. And this had this very sort of subdued and kind of realistically proportioned characters. Um, so it, it just, everything about it just looked and felt different. Yeah. The sprites actually look really good. They're, um, they aren't super deformed, like, uh, like ga- similar games of that era, like, like you mentioned. Um, mm. and you, and you mostly see your, uh, uh, characters from the back in combat. But um, yeah. but the, but the sprite the combat sprites look very very good and detailed and maybe that appealed to me as as well. But, cool mode seven. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's not a bad look. It, it is a muted color palette, but it is pretty good looking for a uh, for a Super Nintendo game of that era. And the monsters are usually many times your size and are all kinds of like effed up looking demons and monsters that are that you know considerably creepier than uh, than other games of that ilk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's certainly striking. Um I wished it wasn't such a chore to play. Um I, you know, I played a little bit of it when it was current and like uh I think around the time that I played it I also owned Final Fantasy 6. So it was like, well, you know, <laughs> I think I'd rather play that. Yeah, but, I'm, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying it's as good as a Final Fantasy VI or a Chrono Trigger, but yeah. uh, it it is not. It's it's, but it's a, at least maybe I'm overrating it, but I think it's a very good, very interesting RPG of that era that isn't really like anything else. Yeah, and, no, it dared and, to be different. Yeah, and and again, because it's so difficult, I the by far the part of it I played the most was the first couple dungeons <laughs> because, yeah. because i would I, I would get stymied at the at the fourth boss or so and um and i only played it through once and that was years after the fact when i was in my teens playing it uh not on a super nintendo let's say <laughs> uh, mm. where, where i had the where i had the benefits of fast forwarding and um and and other tricks to uh, mitigate grinding but it's, yeah, I could see that being more palatable. Yeah, but it, it it's super weird and interesting, and I'm repeating myself, and I apologize. But <laughs> but I I uh, like us um, planning this episode and talking about it now has me a little curious to replay it again. But also, I know how frustrating it is at times, and I don't know. It's I'm I'm working in a strange balancing act right now in my in my mind. Do mm. I do I really want to subject myself to this again? And then the answer is maybe. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I know what you mean. I I don't have that kind of nostalgia about this game in particular, right. but um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's easy to fall down the the nostalgia rabbit hole okay, when talking um, about some of these. Oh, can I give a can I give a a, a Seven Saga strategy minute right now? Yes, please. Uh, okay. Now now, folks, if you want to repl- if you want to play this game and are willing to put in the time and effort and you know suffering, um, rule number one: don't give yourself uh, two characters that both equip heavy armor because you will never ever ever be able to afford heavy armor and weapons for all of them so don't do the knight the dwarf or the demon together just pick one of those if you pick any of them and second of all uh don't pick only physical bruiser characters so don't do only the robot alien or dwarf because then you won't have the important spells that'll let you win late boss fights so the best way to, d- to play this game is to have one physical character and then back them by either the elf the priest or the demon that can back them up with magic so like one of the armored characters and the elf or priest or one of the brawler characters with the elf or priest or demon is the best is the best party to set up if you don't do a setup like that then you will struggle a lot (laughs) and i again i beat the game with the robot and the elf but one physical character and one character with some spells will be enough 
always good to strike the balance. Yeah, but, you, you need uh, to strike always the balance. A... You need to strike the balance in this game. You really need to because if you don't, you like if you don't have good physical attacks, then you will run out of mana in every dungeon. And if you don't have good magic, then you will not win any late game boss fights. If you want a self-imposed challenge, try picking the priest. From what I understand, <laughs> it's almost impossible, but uh, he's like the priest is the best second doable. character. <laughs> Because he has he has one spell called Elixir that heals er, uh, one character's entire HP and MP, which seems broken. And, <laughs> it and, does, and doesn't kind, it? And kind of is. And he can cast it on himself. But the the thing is, at the very beginning of the game, he has no offense whatsoever, and uh, you mm. can't you can't get a second character until you beat the first two dungeons. So that's a pain in the rear. That's crazy. <laughs> um, and and also he like people betray the priest a lot for some reason. Like I I mean. I I forget exactly how the rules work, but uh, like the de- if you pick the demon as your second character, he will always betray you at that point in the mid in the middle, and if you pick the dwarf or the alien or the or the knight, he'll he'll like won't betray every character, but they'll always betray the priest or the elf. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I have I have heard that. So yeah, it like um the priest is like the best second character because he'll join anyone except the demon. Uh, and he has a lot of insane healing magic, but he's uh, he's hard to play as the main character. I, I again, I uh, I like I remember hearing, I, I read somewhere on some forum decades ago that like the best party is the demon with the priest backing him up. But getting that party, getting the priest to agree to go with the demon is like one percent chance in the yeah, second very half very of low game. odds. <laughs> so I don't I don't, and then the demon has is he the demon's the one character with good offensive magic and good attacks. But mm. uh, yeah, not much healing and only moderate defenses. Whatever, we've gone far over my minute for for seven seconds, strats. <laughs> sure. So we can, before we can before we it. move on, uh, <laughs> an interesting bit of trivia I read was that uh, the um, the the female elf and Lux, the Tatsujin, will never be the traitor because they didn't want to account for uh, female pronouns or Lux's weird all cap speak. Right. Oh, huh. That's funny. Well, it, it is yeah. true. I mean, I beat the game with those two characters exactly, and the elf did not betray me. Hmm. But I know that the elf, either of them, can be that boss you fight around the midpoint. But I, but I, shoot. I think I knew that the robot wouldn't betray you. But I don't. That was that was probably me again researching this game when I was when I played it in the early two thousands hmm. to win. But that, that that is helpful, and the uh, the elf especially is a really good second character because uh, she does not have expensive equipment, so she won't get in the way of you like armoring up the knight or the dwarf, and she right. has she has okay healing and very good offensive magic. Well, uh, I guess we'll move on to the uh, following year uh, when Enix America brought us uh, Brain Lord, uh, a I played a heck of a lot of this game. This is a top-down action RPG uh, with its focus on puzzles, hence the name. It was really built on its uh, very, very difficult puzzles, and it it, it delivers <laughs> if you're into that kind of thing. Okay, now I, I think it's I, probably I, I, not I, I, aimed at kids. <laughs> I like a good RPG puzzle now and then. And you, um, when you were telling me about this game off air, is like some of the puzzles were math intensive. Yeah, like could the you give Brain me, Lord is you. Could you give me an example? Because I'm. I'm I'm trying to visualize this here. Okay. And, I, and I've, never, um, I've never played this game. Get ready to tear out your hair. Um, from what I remember, uh, and this isn't a bonus puzzle. This is a puzzle in a regular dungeon just to get through the game. Around um, around where in the game are we here? Like mid, begin, near beginning, near middle, or near end? Uh, near the middle. Okay. All right. So um, solve a mathematical equation 
and then convert the sum to binary and then solve a rather difficult box pushing puzzle to trigger some switches that correspond to the binary answer. Oh, wow. And like some of these puzzles, they, you know, instead of just blocks, there's balls that roll or there's balls that roll when they see you. And it's it's a nightmare. How much how much prompting does the player get to know to convert to binary and hit corresponding switches? Um, not enough when I was 10, but <laughs> <laughs> I did try replaying this again recently. I, I got to the midpoint again. Um, but then that was, that was quite a, a little while ago. So, um, I'll have to see if any of my, um, adult knowledge will help me out with this game. Cause like, like, like I've done the Harvard puzzle hunting before and similar things and they'll have puzzles like this. With little to no prompting, but I, you know, I'm com- I'm completing those as part of a team of other puzzle enthusiasts, and I'm in, and we're all in our twenties, and this yeah. is, and if I, I playing this, if I was a preteen trying to figure this out, I probably would just I would try to get rid of the cartridge as soon as, as either by selling it or not renting it again as soon as I could. That sounds maddening. <laughs> um. I think it's a really neat game, though. It's it's got a similar kind of art style to uh, Seventh Saga. You can tell that the same uh, character and chip artists uh, designed the world, um, and it's got these massive bosses as well. Like you fight a giant cockroach at one point, and this this other boss that looks a little bit like the Death Star that you fight in a room that hmm. you know uses uses magnets to drag you towards it. Um, uh, it's it's got a much better translation this time as well, and quite a fun sense of humor. Um, well, having a better having a better translation than the Seventh Saga's translation isn't isn't a very you know high bar to surpass. Oh yeah, not at all. I I'm not sure who they got this time, but it's head and shoulders above what they were doing just the mm-hmm. previous year. Um, so you're you're this adventurer and you're going around with this party, um, but they they're not joining you. They're just NPCs that sort of show up uh, in the different locations that you are that you're in. Um, and you know, you help each other out by solving puzzles or there's a girl who hates cockroaches and you have to go into the next room and kill the roaches so she can get by. Hmm. Um, and I liked, um, I liked just finding them and talking to them along the way. It, it kind of felt like you were actually traveling with a group. Whereas like other games that were coming out that same year, like breath of fire, it was like party members would join you and that was it. Their story was basically over. They were just silent from then onward. So this feeling that brain lord gave of like you have you're part of this group and everybody's got their own agenda and uh goals and personality it was it was really fun to and it's, um, and it's a and, and it's a persistent agenda like you like you're still interacting with them and helping them towards their goals later in the game as sort of instead of a sort of you know here they are and forget the rest of them once they join your party deal like in yeah. fire one yeah indeed like at one point one of the guys wants to get married so like you go back to his town and go to his wedding <laughs> and then he, and then he leaves the group. Oh, damn. Yeah. But um your actual party members are these uh little jade fairies. You pick up these gems along the way and um you can equip two at a time and they all have their own little functions like one will uh attack enemies that it sees in the field or one will uh light up a dark room. Um and they level up individually from these little gems that enemies drop. Um but there's so many of them that some of them are just useless. I mean, all you really need is the one that lights up the room and I think there's one that it shows invisible floors and there's one that heals you all the time. So, so you're pretty much golden with those. Th- there's three or four that will carry you through the game and the rest are 
dead weight. But it, it, that sounds like an interesting se- system, especially in an action RPG. Yeah. Yeah, it's like four out of sixteen, I think. <laughs> but yeah, but there, there's your actual character doesn't have any RPG style progression. You find these items, uh, consumable items that you know increase your stats um, in the world. But then they have these dungeons with these brutal puzzles that may or may not uh, feature binary conversion as part of their solutions. Yeah, I mean they're a nightmare. <laughs> you know, math with with block pushing puzzles and platforming at the same time it's it's a bit much um well i mean you know when i was when i was a kid i who maybe didn't always love math class of course i wanted more math in my (laughs) in in my escapist entertainment oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but one of the things that i like the most about this game is it's got this small world and it you know changes and phases depend um with you know the actions that you take and the dungeons you can you complete um, it reminds me a little bit of like an ease or a legend of heroes. You know, each time something happens in the story, almost every NPC gets new dialogue to reflect it. And it just feels so strange and intimate. Um, just, just a, but, a world state that's, that's constantly changing and, and rewards some level of continuing to explore places you've already been. Yeah. But yeah, that that's brain Lord, mostly a, a really punishing, weird little artifact of, uh, mid 90s enix um i really like this game's music um it's by um uh, masanao akahori who did cybernator or uh, assault suits vulcan i don't know if you ever played that i have Mike. not played that that's th- th- that's unrelated to metal warriors I uh guess. metal warriors was kind of a a homage to it okay all right because i mean th- th- that's my stand my gold standard for <laughs> for super famicom giant robot fighting oh oh you should play this one then oh i'm, I'm intrigued definitely but um I, i'm intrigued by Blaine, brain lord in general especially if i can skip most of the puzzles with a guide or something because that seems like the least appealing part of the game to me so if if yeah i do yeah if i had a guide that would walk me through most of the puzzles what would what, what would you think the runtime would be on this game Oh, gosh, maybe 10 hours? Hmm, all right. 10 or 15, maybe? I could give it the old Seventh Saga, first two dungeons try. I mean, there's no grinding, you know, you just have to uh, collect all the stat healing items from all the chests, hmm. or the stat boosting items, rather. But, no, but that does um, sound interesting, and, uh, and, uh, and especially if, I would, if it would be, you know, reliving some of the art and some of the, uh, the vibe that Seventh Saga gave. Yeah. If you look at the game side by side, um, the towns in particular, you can you can tell they're by the same folks. <laughs> with it, with the very sort of like um, uh, the sort of boxy designs and rounded edges. Yeah, kind of looks like everybody's sticking their stomachs out when they walk. Yeah, a little bit because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they have to fill the entire block of the sprite. <laughs> yeah. Um, high pedigree on this game's art, actually. Um, this was uh, hidden in the game's uh, American release, as many Japanese things were at the time. Uh, these, this game's got a, uh, character designer was the um, shoujo artist Sachiko Kamamura, who did um, Heroic Legend of Arslan and uh, oh. City Hunter. I love so. City Hunter. The, wait, wait, do you mean City Hunter, the manga that was written by the same guy that did uh, Angel Heart? And That's Cat's right. Heart? Oh, my yeah. God. I'll send you the, uh, this, this isn't good for a podcast, but I'll send you the Japanese box art, which was okay. also the cover of the I, uh, American Hint book. I have a lot of affection for, um, for Angel Heart and City Hunter in particular, and, and, and having, that, having that character designer show up in a Super Famicom game is fascinating to me. Uh, I should clarify, um, she ret- this, this artist, Kamamura, she retooled the designs for the TV anime. Oh, okay. But the, the uh, t- she didn't, the, didn't do the manga. All right, well, that's, 
that's fair because the TV anime of City Hunter, which I have seen set many episodes of, is uh is, is an entertaining adaptation. <laughs> yeah, and it's eighties as hell. Especially it's a uh, especially listen to that theme, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's real good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so back back to Brain Lord. Um, I I may I may check out that game yet. I'm not sure. We'll it's see. worth a look. I mean, the the first dungeon is completable. Things get a pretty sadistic after that. So, I mean, give that a go. <laughs> right on. Um, at the following year, uh, 1995, uh, Enix America had closed their doors. Uh, so, what few Enix published games we were getting, we were mostly getting through Nintendo, uh, and that was um, uh, Illusion of Gaia. Um, want to say that uh, Robotrek was the year before that. Anyway, so nobody was putting out Enix's games in America, or if they were, very, very rarely. Uh, so um, so that, That's why America never got the Super Nintendo version of Dragon Quest VI at all, I guess. Uh, that's correct. Um, no such explanation for why we didn't get five and why they chose to bring over Paladin's Quest instead, but hey, <laughs> who knows? So 1995, Produce gives us Mystic Arc, uh, another game uh, with a talented manga artist behind it. Uh, this this time, it was a duo of uh, Akihiro Yamada, who did the art for Lotus War and the anime series Ra Zephon, mm. and also uh, the incredible Hitoshi Yoneda. Uh, Hitoshi Yoneda, who uh, is a science fiction illustrator who did some incredible key art for uh, the Japanese boxes of Fantasy Star 2 and 4, and also Sega's port of uh, Sorcerian. Huh, okay. So, I I am familiar with Razafon mostly because one of my close friends really, really loves mecha anime of that era. But then the, yeah. But then that, that's an interesting one. Um. So this is this is a peculiar little game. Um. It it basically plays almost exactly like Seventh Saga, uh, in terms of mechanics, but it feels kind of like an art house RPG, if that makes sense. Um. Okay. Players. Players choose between a uh, male or female character, and it's uh, Remir again, who is, you know, who is the hero of of the past two games, or uh, Ferris, uh, the name of the female character, who also shows up as a party member in Brain Lord, um, and you you awaken you awaken in this shrine, and this disembodied voice uh, claims to be a goddess and says that you've been trapped in the in the body of a small wooden doll and you need to find your way home. Um, but you're never really told what your home is or really who you are. <laughs> so it's got this really whimsical feel, like there's like a talking fireplace, and you solve these little little puzzles, like throwing switches, and the screen transitions when you look at objects to like an adventure game view with, with um, menu options. Um, so it, it, it's just got this really strange feel about it. And, and you end up, the first thing you do is you end up being teleported to this world where it's like some pirate ships with, with pirate kitties. Go some, on. Some, like, pi- some, pi- some pirate ships that are stranded on land. Tell and it's me like more pink. about these pirate kitties, Rob. Oh, there, there's, there's pink cats and there's black cats and they don't like each other, but mm-hmm. they don't know why. Mm-hmm. And they'd like to they'd like to fight each other, but their boats are just stranded on land, so the they can't get close to each other. The meow and the cat peelets. Basically, yes. <laughs> so it, it's just weird, you know. You you go through all these different sort of little vignettes, and uh, you don't really find out who you are, at, at least not for a very long time. Um, 
it's just all these little themed worlds, a little bit like Seventh Saga, but feeling even more abstract. So, so it's like and, it's like disjointed abstract uh, vignettes that are maybe even slightly absurdist, if I'm interpreting you correctly. Oh, absolutely, and, yeah. Uh, and uh, but and it's ostensibly about self-discovery, but it's um, the, all of that's very vague until near the end of the game. So. It, very, it, very vague. So deliberately throwing the player off, I'm guessing. <laughs> Maybe deliberately uh, and deliberately hiding things from the players. Yeah, I guess Art House RPG is a fair uh, is a fair comparison. That's that sounds like David Lynch the RPG at times. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of. I don't. Did, did you ever play um, Soul Blazer, the quintet game for Super Super Nintendo? Um, I played. A, I I have finished uh, Terra Enigma and Illusion of Gaia, but I have never played Soul Blazer. Okay. Um, well, those are much better games than Soul Blazer. <laughs> All right. But, <laughs> we actually, okay, um, you, uh, you, you're probably aware of this, but we did three Terra Enigma episodes in, uh, yes. in, I believe, late 2015 or early 2016 on this, for this very podcast. Indeed we did. Uh, check them out, folks. They are in the archives. <laughs> it's, you a, can, it's, it's a good game and those are good episodes. You can, you can hear Josh trying to start a battle, um, <laughs> by running into an enemy that kills him. <laughs> <laughs> So Soul Blazer, you know, you're when you're killing enemies in that game, um, defeating all of the enemies in an area uh, will restore um, something in this town. And that can either be a townsperson or it can be like a sentient object or a flower. Um, and so, you know, you can talk to like an old man's broom and that kind of thing. Um, I guess it kind of ties into Shintoism uh, mm-hmm. where, you know, if an object has been used and taken care of for so long, it turns into a into a minor deity. Um, but. I guess Mystic Art kind of reminds me of of that kind of that kind of world, but without the overarching RPG quest. It seems like you're just kind of like going through this world of you know uh, a sapient fireplace and and a broom uh, and, and a bunch of cats on a pirate ship in the in the middle of land. <laughs> I gotta admit, I haven't gotten too far in this game. I've played it for maybe about ten hours. Um, I want to like it. It's got some really interesting ideas. Um, it feels a little bit like a point-and-click adventure game, especially like those those mid-90s sort of mist clones that hmm. went full-on surrealism, like um, uh, Gadget, Welcome to the Future, and um, Juggernaut on PlayStation. I Okay, I'm aware of some of those games because one of my friends in particular kept trying to get me to play them, and I was... I and I rebuffed them at every turn and went back to my safe, you know, understandable square RPGs. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but this sounds really interesting, especially now that I'm of a mindset that would tolerate this better than you know, thirteen-year-old me. I mean, it's got its own cruelty though, because I mean, you're solving these kind of adventure game-style puzzles um, while having to deal with the radar system and the battles of of Seventh Saga oh. and all the gr- all the grinding that that requires. Huh. So, I think I dropped off when I had to go to a tower full of traps and it was all like pits that would drop me down and block pushing and switch throwing puzzles and battling at the same time. And you say this is but, someone who loves Nocturne and Digital Devil Saga. Uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I would I would lower the encounter rate in those games if I could. Sure, yeah. But I'm very much of the mind that the golden rule is you shouldn't have um, puzzles and random battles at the same time. I think, you know, break them up, have one or the other. It's, it's, and, it's and, bad. In their defense, I know Digital Devil Saga does turn off the encounter rate in puzzle rooms sometimes. 
but maybe, yeah, maybe, not, maybe not enough. But <laughs> not in the, not in the teleporter mazes. Right. They well they did in the uh, oh shoot in like some of the laser mirror rooms. I know they turned it off, but not. But you're right. Not in the teleporter mazes, and not in the uh, and not in the um, the hall with trapdoor floors. Yeah. But anyway, the, we're we're uh, we're off topic <laughs> again. So uh, so this game seems to. Yeah. Uh, but the puzzles never reach a brain lord level, do they? Oh, not at all. They're standard, you know, 16-bit Final Fantasy dungeon puzzles. Like, throw a switch to open a gate and then, you know, get back across. And, uh, and even the block pushing is, is way simplified. And you mentioned that it has uh, uh, different um, character designers than the previous two games. But does is, does it look mostly like Seventh Saga and Brain Lord? Or... No, it oh, looks okay. completely different. It it's They've gone for the SD style, and it looks more like... Um, I guess Final Fantasy VI is probably a good comparison. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of exaggerated characters. The battles look quite similar to Seventh Saga's battles, but the the world itself, you know, you've got the short character with the big head and big eyes. Now, that's not uh, that's not a criticism necessarily, though, because I mean, no, the, it I looks mean, really nice. I, I mean, the, the, in Seventh Saga, the battles are way cooler looking than the uh, than the general navigation as well. Yeah, I think. I think it works here. I think it's appropriate because this is more of like a lighthearted and abstract adventure. So having this, um, you know, this this kind of whimsical design to go with its whimsical story, whether whereas the previous two games felt, you know, as I said, stark or maybe maybe a little bit harsher. Mm-hmm. That's that's this is very mo- much more playful. I find. Cool. I'm. Hmm. I mean, I'm still a little concerned about the uh, about you know the punishing encounter rate because I mean, there's so many games that I want to be playing that are are even on my shelf and I'm not playing that I don't know how if it would be the best use of my time to go back to a '90s RPG with punishing difficulty that I'm not sure I want to play. <laughs> but I think maybe it's worth a look, but. There are better 16-bit RPGs out there that you but, probably haven't but, played. But again, I mean, I have this unusual amount of positive nostalgia for Seventh Saga, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely intrigued by Mystic Arc. And even though its absurdist setting probably would have been annoying to me as a, as a, you know, as a, as a teenager, I probably would really dig something that del- was deliberately that weird, um, playing it as an adult, hmm. because I mean. When you th- when you think about it, like games are an excellent vehicle for this kind of stuff because I, I mean, yeah. if if, uh, if if the player buys into a world that's totally absurd, it can be so entertaining. Just even just wallowing in the craziness of a game, like I mean, I, I mean, uh, like like who doesn't love the look and absurdity in a game like Katamari Damacy? Oh, like, for sure, yeah. And and so when when a game is you know. Uh, really just sells its own look and its own weirdness that there will be players that that embrace that so that that part of this game is just fascinating to me and if it's a mostly traditional jrpg with a tone and look like that Mm. it probably is something i want to play but again (laughs) if it's if it's just full of you know trapdoor puzzles and seven saga combat i hesitate Mm. yeah like Trying to dodge enemies on that Seventh Saga style radar and walking into a pit. <laughs> um, that, that got rough sometimes. That is about where I stopped. <laughs> um, I only found out quite recently that there was a, um, a direct sequel to Mystic Arc and a, a sort of capstone to this series. And I, um, I was not aware of that at all. I was aware that there was a Seventh Saga sequel, and I 
and I maybe did a Wikipedia article check 10 years ago, and that's about it. So this is all mm. brand new to me. <laughs> so in 1999, uh, Produce released one of their last games after taking a bit of a sabbatical to help um, Hudson out with a few of the Super Bomberman titles. Um, they're back with, I want to say this was one of their final games, if not the final game, uh, Mystic Arc Maboroshi Gekijo, or uh, Mystic Arc uh, Illusory Theater. Um, now this is this is a follow-up that eschews the RPG man mechanics almost com completely. It's like a third-person tank controls adventure game um, that follows a similar kind of dreamlike vignetted format to its prequel, but with uh, the puzzles and like sort of an action RPG or third person action combat, um, which is apparently very bad, uh, are the focus here. So from what I understand at the end of Mystic Arc, spoilers, um, similar to Seventh Saga, the uh, Remir or Ferris see themselves reborn into what's implied to be the real world. And um, Illusory Theater, it's set in this kind of vaguely European-Victorian setting. Kind of looks like a storybook. And you play a, as Ramir or Alice this time. Um, and it looks quite a bit like a pop-up book in a way. I think they're deliberately channeling those kind of aesthetics. Um, and I guess you're, you're solving puzzles at the behest of a frightening, scarecrow-looking um, circus ringleader with no eyes named Mr. Silver Fingertips. <laughs> who uh, promises <laughs> okay <laughs> if if you bring him all of the mystic arcs he will uh bring back all the people in town who have disappeared without a trace so that's what that is um i've wow. played a t i've played a tiny bit of this i watched some videos of it as well it kind of reminds me of the very early um gust game welcome house which was basically basically an adventure game but like it Channeled Buster Keaton. Hmm. It's, like, it's like, real... like 1920s silent era slapstick. That's right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Before Gus did Atelier, they did this duo of these uh, weird adventure games where you explore a house and you use objects on other objects, but it's like a crazy trap house, and you know you get hit in the face with pies and stuff, and there's no dialogue. It's, oh it's, man, I was not really weird games. I was not expecting a Buster Keaton reference on this podcast recording. <laughs> But yeah. Well, anyway, um, listeners, you should watch the General. It's a it's a silent uh, film era comedy masterpiece. But uh, and also Buster Keaton has a very memorable role in A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, which is a very good movie musical. But anyway, that's an excellent movie. Yeah. Yeah, it is. He's the he's the guy looking for uh looking for his um two lost his two long lost children. It was his last film role. Hmm. He he was great in it too. That's a, that that movie's excellent. But uh, wow. I mean. So th that 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 last produce RPG sounds uh I mean maybe even stranger and and I'm sort of less on board with the concept for it than I was with uh with Mystic Arc which which genuinely intrigues me and uh, but it's very very weird looking <laughs> and and I guess cuz I mean um produce was only around for about a decade uh this is very right. this is very late era Super Famicom or was it uh, oh no! This was uh, this was late PlayStation One. Okay. This was 1999, um, and then I think they were done after that. I think some of them moved on to, um, oh, I can't remember who. I, I know that some of them went on to work with some people from who left Telenet 
I want to say the company had witches in their title, but I should have should have made a note and I didn't. But yeah, <laughs> um, you you would know better than I would. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm you're much more in tune with the uh, staff of produce and telling it than I am. But the uh, yeah, that that's fascinating. And this game, this company was only around for a short time, but they made some really interesting RPGs that aren't really like any other RPGs of their era. Like I'm I'm still. I'm still my mind is still half blown away from you describing that brain lord puzzle to me and uh and 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 me like thinking that for many years that Seventh Saga was basically a standalone game and it had these two sequels that were even weirder than it was was mm. uh, is really fascinating to me so I'm trying to figure out what happened to Shinji Yamada who <laughs> from what I understand directed all of these games um, and it looks like he he might have just bowed out after Produce ended in 2000, which is a, which is a shame because he had some really bizarre ideas, if <laughs> if nothing else. Yeah, shoot. I mean, like, would you if he continued in the game industry? Could you think? Do you think he could uh, could have been some auteur level game designer, like a like dare I say a, a Suda 51 or a Yoko Taro? Yeah, possibly. I mean, him and he and Suda were working at the same time. And I mean, Suda was doing weird things um, in the 90s. I think think Suda is doing weird things at all times, just living his life. (laughs) Yeah, that that is absolutely true. But I mean, before the idea of the video games auteur was really a thing, they Mm. mostly kind of flew under the radar. I still don't love the idea of a video games auteur, mostly because I think think there's too many moving parts in a video game to attribute too much of it to one person i but but regardless um he does seem like like a lost auteur that could could still be making interesting games to this day if if produce didn't end with a whimper the way it did yeah i mean it's a shame that he bowed out then but i mean so many interesting developers and and uh companies just you know they just couldn't make that jump into the 3d um into the 3d generation and you know, I guess if they held out a little longer, um, Steam would have been there for them to uh, make all the weird 2D games they wanted. But maybe we'll maybe we'll see some of these people come back. You never know. Or maybe I think what's more likely is that uh, um, younger designers that are up and coming may have been inspired by these by these strange games. Oh yeah, playing in their youth and trying to trying to create something from their own mind with these as influencers. I think is is more likely because. I mean, if if he hasn't been seen around game development in over fifteen years, I don't, I, 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 I don't, I think it might, I think it might be over for Yamada-san. But, I mean, I, I have, I have a lot of affection and 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 remember set parts of the Seventh Saga very vividly, and, and and it's it's I'm sort of glad that there were more games like it made by this company, and I am intrigued, and I kind of want to try both Brain Lord and Mystic Arc, but, hmm. I think at the very at the very least they're worth firing up and uh, having a peek at. Right. Yeah. I'm, I may do that yet. The problem is, man, there's always too many games and not enough time. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> uh, f- well, I guess Enix or Square Enix now own the rights to all of these. It's a shame that um, we probably won't be seeing any of them on Virtual Console anytime soon because yeah, that would the, be nice. The but... Seventh Saga was definitely not on the Wii Virtual Console, and when I was um, when I was buying up Super Fi- uh, Nintendo games on that Wii Virtual Console, I believe me, I had an eye out for Seventh Saga, and it never appeared. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they put up Act Razor, and that was about it. Um, yeah, I think you're right. There wasn't much other Enix stuff, and Act Act Razor is an awesome, awesome game that uh, I-, I will 
forever be furious at because I I never you have to to beat that game you have to beat all six area bosses in a row and then a new final boss and I absolutely could not do that and I tried for weeks at a time uh, beating, hey. to beat Act Razor and I never could but. They did that again in Illusion of Gaia. Oh yeah, well it's 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 harder in Act Razor because for the yeah, area it's a much boss, harder game for the for the for the area bosses in Act Razor, I had to use like all of my magic and all of my spells just to beat the boss, and suddenly having to do all six in a row plus a seventh when my magic was when my resources were more limited, it was not something I was equipped to do. Uh, hmm. th- th- that game is super interesting, and then just has a brutal finale that I uh, that I. I couldn't make it through, but any, but yeah, um, it's kind of a bummer that we never saw any of these, uh, any of these produce games, on uh, on, on later services because it, I think I, I would have picked it up on Virtual Console at least, and uh, I mean if it appeared in some kind of bundle on uh, on either Humble or GOG or Steam, I would, I, I mean d- unless the the price was insane, I I would be an instant buy for me. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely, even though, you know, I'm not even the biggest Seventh Saga fan, and I probably would, <laughs> I probably would pick up a copy, just, I'm you know, pro- out of I'm novelty. probably in the 95th percentile of, of yeah. Seventh Saga fans. Uh. <laughs> yeah, you probably are. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a weird so RPG if, if anybody... that, like, that, I mean, uh, I, I, there definitely are other people that um, remember it as fondly as I do, but it's, it's, it's in the lower tier of popular Super Nintendo RPGs of that era. <laughs> Yeah, there are there are better games, but it's still, you know, it still stands apart from what it tried to do. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so if anybody at Square Enix is listening, um there are there are produce fans out there. <laughs> so Or are uh, there produce fans out there? We still we're still not sure on that. They're divided into two, into two camps. Ah, I see. The pro camp yeah. and the deuce camp. Oh, that's <laughs> <laughs> great. <laughs> wow. At least they all uh, they all agree on the exclamation point. At least. <laughs> well, um, I think we've pretty much uh, exhausted the topic of this uh, bizarre short series of four games. So um, I think that's a pretty pl- good place to cap off. Unless you have any final thoughts. Oh man, um, I don't have any final thoughts other than I'm intrigued by Brain Lord and Mystic Arc, and I wish I could legally buy Seventh Saga on a modern platform somehow. But I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure either any of those things will happen. Stranger things have happened. Well, folks, thanks very much for listening. Uh, Mike, where can people find you online? Right. I am Monsoon on the RPG Fan Forums. I am at the Real Monsoon on Twitter for most of my thoughts and at Evoker for Dogs on my for my thoughts on Japanese superheroes and Blizzard multi, uh, multiplayer online battle arenas. And uh, if you want to email me, um, my, that's my last name, Solosi at RPGFan.com. Okay. Uh, you can find me on the forums as Towns Car Marty, uh, and you'll probably also see me reviewing the occasional game at RPGFan.com. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at MisanthroBob. Uh, I got a website, MisanthroPop.com. I wrote, um, a, uh, short piece talking about why Telenet sampled Kraftwerk in the game Exile. So if you're interested <laughs> in, uh, s- some bizarre illegal sampling in, uh, an old, in an old RPG, check that out. When I saw you post that, it was a combination of proper nouns I never, ever thought I would ever see. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's... In one article title. Thanks for making that happen, Telenet. <laughs> um, stay tuned uh, next month uh, to beat the summer heat uh, with uh, some upcoming episodes on Earthbound and Danganronpa 2. They will be airing throughout July. 
Um, you can write in at retro at rpgfan.com, and uh, we appreciate all your fan mail. Yeah, so. we, we will read anything that is directed to us and respond to it as long as it isn't, you know, extremely rude or racist. But that hasn't happened yet, thank goodness. Please be nice to us. Don't mess with us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks again for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. Have fun, everyone. <laughs>